Well, good morning, Celebration community. And Jean, we haven't met, but that was beautiful. And uh, what, a, what a testimony to God's glory and goodness and gift and music. And we haven't met. I'm Pastor JB, and uh, I'm the new pastor at Fusion. I'll say a little more in just a bit. But for now, let's prepare our hearts. Uh, our hearts have been prepared, but let's continue in worship with a, a call to worship, which is a call and response from Paul's uh, letter to the church in Philippi, the, the Christ hymn from Philippians 2. Uh, I will begin and uh, invite you to respond together. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Listen now, Celebration Community, we gather in one voice, one tongue, and celebrate and praise God. Will you join me in standing together and singing, Oh, Worship the King. Let's stand and sing. be seated. 
Thank you for your flexibility on that first song. I had the wrong song, so. But, uh, but, but what's that? I said you didn't I probably did, but I missed it. Bill is on top of things, and he gave me an order of worship two weeks ago, so it has changed a little bit. Uh, but welcome once again, a celebration community. It is a joy to be with you this morning. I am Pastor JB, new pastor at Fusion. For those of you who aren't aware, I'm sure most of you are, but Fusion meets just next door in the great room in just over an hour. And uh, we have been blessed <clears throat> to be welcomed into Heart Awake Ministries, this community, and to Fusion specifically. Just a little bit about myself. Um, I am married to a wonderful woman, uh, 14 years this past week, Yvonne, and uh, we have two kids, Emmeline, who is almost eight, uh, seven going on eight, and then our youngest is Bryson, and uh, as he says, he is a little four, which is his way of saying he's almost four. He's three and a half. They both have June birthdays, a little four. Kids are precious and cute, and uh, they, uh, they, are, they are my joy, and uh, they, they teach me lessons every day. Uh, some of them in good ways, some of them in hard ways, but can you relate? Amen? Yeah, amen. <laughs> well, when Bill asked me to preach this, this Sunday um, so that he and Mary Lynn can enjoy some much-deserved, much-needed uh, time away with family uh, on the beach, I immediately said yes. And uh, for two reasons. The first was because I knew that Bill had been filling in for me over at Fusion and kind of doing the, the double service. And so it was like, absolutely, I can, uh, I can help out in that way. But more importantly, uh, one of the things is that Hardaway Ministries, we're, we're family. We are one family. And so the opportunity to help out a brother who I've, I'm growing to love, and, uh, but also an opportunity to get to know uh, some of you, at least in this setting, and uh, hopefully we'll have a chance to kind of meet one another, not only today, but in the days ahead, um, is a gift. You know, the structure of Hardawake is, uh, is a unique thing. Three worshiping communities, one church. But to be honest, it was one of the things that the Spirit used to draw me here because I just see such beautiful potential when it's working at its best, and uh, I'm excited. I am absolutely excited to be working with Bill, Pastor Aaron, and uh, it's been a blessing so far. Excited to see what God's going to do in and through uh, Hardaway Ministries here on the Lakeshore and beyond. Uh, just a couple of announcements um, real quick. Uh, Watershed is in the process of that search, and it was announced uh, last week or maybe the weeks before that Aaron Vanderveen has put his name, and that vote is closing today. So if you have not had an opportunity to, to cast that vote of affirmation, please do that today. Um, exciting, exciting stuff. Also, uh, a couple of things that are happening. I have, here it is. You received a, a little flyer, and there's a couple things happening today and next week. There is a Neighbors Plus auction in the library. Uh, it's a silent auction for a small group in-person auction, and so check that out. There's some cool items there. It's a great way to support Neighbors Plus. And then this Wednesday, uh, it is uh, May 26th, this Wednesday, it is a family night where we'll be doing some s'mores. A week and a half. I got my dates mixed up. Thank you for your grace, and thank you for the correction. Not this week. I'm glad you told me, because I was going to show up this week. 
next week. It is going to be s'mores night. Uh, give some more to missions, some creative wordplay there. Uh, and then finally, obviously there's some announcements this week with COVID and stuff. And um, so we're working on that as a leadership community, how to respond to that. Just know that we're working hard to get where we all want to be, uh, where we can be doing life more and more. Next Sunday, we're going to begin doing some outdoor um, water and some granola so we can do some fellowship outside as the, the weather's finally turning in West Michigan. And uh, can I get an amen to that? Amen. Spring is here. Yes. Uh, but let's shift back into the reason why we're here this morning, which is to worship, to grow in our love and our knowledge of Jesus Christ. Uh, here at Celebration, been using the catechism as this constant reminder to remind us of who the Holy Spirit is, and the Catechism does that in a beautiful way. I'm going to ask the question, and then we'll respond together. What do you believe concerning the Holy Spirit? First, that the Spirit with the Father and the Son is eternal God. Second, that the Spirit is giving also to me so that through true faith, he makes me share in Christ and all his benefits, comforts me, and will remain with me forever. Amen. I invite you to stand as we sing a song of response, There is a Redeemer. We join me in a word of prayer. Almighty, gracious, loving, good God, we praise you this morning for you are good, you are powerful, you are almighty, you are holy, and you are just. We praise you for the gift of, of music, 
which draws our, our hearts together and up into praise and worship of you, our Lord and King. We thank you, Lord, for your redeeming work in Jesus Christ. Lord, for all of these gifts, we praise you and we thank you for the evidence of your power and your might. Lord, it's springtime in West Michigan, and we look all around, and your creation declares the wonder and the glory of our Lord and God. Look up into the tree canopies, and the leaves are just exploding from the branches, and flowers are erupting from the earth. Lord, it is evidence of your order in this world and how you've created rhythms of renewal here in our land and in the creation. And Lord, you've done that same work in our hearts. We confess, Lord, that so often our, our hearts get, get so focused and our minds so focused on the, the tasks that lay before us, the, the toil of everyday life, Lord, we, we get distracted by the news that reminds us of all that is wrong. And Lord, we confess that what's wrong is, is sin. And Lord, we recognize that each of us, each and every day, fail and sin. Lord, fail you, our God, fail those that we love, fail ourselves, and Lord, we confess that to you. But Lord, as we confess our sin to you, Lord, we find great freedom and assurance in your word, which reminds us that those who confess, Lord, will receive forgiveness in Jesus Christ. And we thank you for that redeeming work of your Son, Jesus Christ, Lord, which reminds us and assures us that we are your children. Lord, what a gift. What a gift that we can come to you, our Heavenly Father, by the power of the Spirit through the work of Jesus Christ, Lord, and, and, and lift our hearts to you, knowing that, Lord God, you listen and, and you listen to us as you listen to your children because we are your children. And so, Lord, we come to you on this Sunday morning and we pray for Heart Awake Ministries. We thank you, Lord, for the work that you are doing in and through and among us. We thank you, Lord, that, Bear, that Bill and, and Mary Lynn are enjoying some time away. Lord, as they wrap that time up, Lord, may it have been a time of restoration and rest. Continue, Lord, to pray for fusion as, as we grow and, and learn about one another and learn what you are calling us to do together as a worshiping body. We pray for watershed, Lord, and Pastor Aaron as they continue to discern and we continue to discern as a, as a church body this call that you've placed in his heart and his life. Lord, we look forward, to God, to, to what you are going to do because, Lord, we know in all things you are in control and that you are working all things for our good, for your glory. Lord, we pray for the ministries of Hardaway and those ministries connected here. We, we pray for Mission that will be meeting here this afternoon. We pray, God, that, that they would join together as this place is a, is a space of worship and praise. We pray for our youth ministries and Nate and his work with the leaders there as transitioning from the school year to the summer and all that lies ahead, Lord, that you would be in the planning this month as this summer so much is ahead. We pray for Neighbors Plus and uh, the, the fundraisers that are happening right now for Great Escape Summer Camp that will be taking place this summer right here on our campus. And Lord, all of these wonderful things. But Lord, in these 
events and programs. Lord, we, pr- we have a deeper desire and longing, which is that you would be shaping and forming disciples more and more into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And Lord, that is a work that we pray for each and every one of us, that Lord, we would be growing in our knowledge and our love. We thank you for the companion uh, dis- disciple- disciplines that each each worshiping body will be doing this summer, studying different disciplines. And Lord, may we receive this invitation, and it is an invitation to, to experiment and to try these things which bring us into your presence. We pray this in Jesus' name. We also pray, Lord, for specific concerns within our community for health needs and concerns, those struggling with, with physical health. Lord, those struggling with an uncertain future, God, that you would be in that struggle. Lord, for those needs that, that we are aware of, but Lord, also those needs that are unspoken. Lord, we know that there's many among us who are struggling in a variety of ways and for whatever reason, Lord, are not known, maybe for good reason. But, Lord, that you would surround each of us with that core of support so that, Lord, we would know that we are not in this life alone, but we have the body of Christ to walk and support and encourage one another in this this thing we call life. Lord, that is a gift. Lord, may your church, not only here in Holland and West Michigan, but, Lord, may your church in our nation and in our world continue to be a voice that testifies to your goodness, that testifies to your grace, that testifies to the forgiveness and the salvation that is found in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone. Lord, may we be aware of how we are representing you here in our community and in our world. And Lord, may we seek your Spirit's guidance just as the early church in the book of Acts sought your guidance each and every step along the way. Lord, because we know we need you. And so, Lord, as your body of believers, we join together in the prayer that you taught us to pray, saying, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen and amen. We uh, continue in a sermon series through the, the book of Acts. And I hope you have been enjoying this sermon series. I know I have uh, to just walk, uh, although not really slowly. Uh, this morning we are going to be uh, looking at two full chapters uh, from Luke's account in the book of Acts. And so if you have your Bibles open, I invite you to 
open them and keep them open as we work our way through these two chapters. Last week, it was, it was pretty cool. Um, in our planning, uh, Pastor Bill, Pastor Aaron, myself, we all landed on the same passage. Uh, we all, so in all three worshiping bodies, we talked about Ananias and Sapphira and wrestled with the tensions there. Uh, but later in that passage, in Acts chapter 5, what we see is that this resistance to this early Jesus movement continues to build. And Peter and John are again thrown in prison. Uh, but this resistance kind of comes to its boiling point here in Acts chapter 6 and 7 with the account of Stephen, who is the first martyr. Um, here's my hope this morning, what to do. What I want to do is we're going to take a high-level walk through these two chapters, drawing on two themes, opposition and faithfulness. And here's the question that we want to wrestle with this morning. What does faithfulness look like in the face of opposition? Now, for the sake of time, we're not going to read all 75 verses in these two chapters. We're, what we are going to do is we're going to read the accounts immediately before and immediately after Stephen gives this long, amazing, brilliant speech. And we're going to talk about that during our time this morning as well. So that's what we're going to do. Does that sound good? That's what I've planned. So that's what you're going to get, right? So we're going to, we're going to read from God's Word. We're not going to read the first seven verses of Acts chapter 6. The first seven verses was there's some tension uh, arising within the church community about how to care for those in need. And this was when the early church appointed the first diaconate. The first deacons were appointed, Stephen being one of them. We're going to touch on that, but we're going to pick up here at verse 8. And what I like to do is stand as we hear God speak. So if you're willing and able, uh, please stand as we hear God speak to us uh, this morning. Starting with verse 8. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, This fellow never stops speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Then the Sanhedrin questioned Stephen and say, Are these charges true? And he goes on, and, and we'll touch on this, but offers this brilliant speech talking about the, the history of God's people. At the end of that speech, he brings some pretty bold accusations against the religious rulers. And here we read in verse 54 how they respond. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. 
At this, they covered their ears, and yelling at the tops of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you once again for your word. Lord, even words and testimonies and accounts like this, which are troubling and heartbreaking. Lord, we trust that your spirit has a word to speak to us this morning. And so, spirit, we pray that you would do that work and that you would open our hearts and our minds to receive from you what it is you have for us this morning. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. As I mentioned just a few moments ago, uh, married to Yvonne, and uh, we have two wonderful kids, Emmeline and Bryson. And uh, our kids, those are not my kids on the screen there. Uh, it's just a stock photo. Um, my kids are way more adorable than that. Um, but uh, one of the things that, that we enjoy doing on the weekends is uh, we absolutely love family movie nights. And so on the weekends, we'll often uh, pop in a movie, pop some popcorn, get in our comfy clothes after bath time, cuddle up on the couch, and watch uh, a movie. Oftentimes, it's a, a Disney movie of some sort. Does that, can anyone name that movie that's on the screen? Sleeping Beauty. Yeah, it's an old classic. Yeah, Sleeping Beauty, a Disney movie. Anyway, uh, what you have to know about our, our daughter, our oldest, she's seven going on eight, and uh, she is energetic and rambunctious in a lot of ways, loves monkey bars and playgrounds and full of energy and full of life, but really at her core, she is the sensitive, she has a sensitive soul, uh, just a sweet and sensitive spirit. And so what often happens when we're watching a movie is uh, something bad will happen in the movie, right? I mean, basic plot lines, you know, something bad happens, and she will get very worked up and will actually start crying. She'll start bawling when something bad happens during a movie. And thankfully, most kids' movies kind of follow the same basic plot line, right? There's a hero, and you, this hero becomes endearing, and you love this hero, and then there's a villain, and there's these reasons that are developed in the plot line why you despise this villain, and then there's a clash, right? And there's usually this clash between the hero and the villain, and the villain almost wins, but then at the end, the hero prevails, right? And that's usually how these movies go. And most often, right at that moment when you think the villain is going to win is the moment where my daughter, Emlyn, gets upset, right? Because you think the, villain, the hero has lost or even died, and so she begins crying, and at that point in the movie, I'll, I'll just look over and I'll say, honey, just keep watching. Just keep watching the movie. It'll all work out in the end. Most of the time, it does. One time, she was watching a movie in the other room, and I hear from the other room her crying. And I, I say, honey, are you okay? Is everything okay? 
and she calls out, the dog is dead! And I say to her, honey, just keep watching. It'll all work out at the end. And she calls back, the movie's over! And I run into the other room, and sure enough, the credits are rolling, and I think, what kind of monster made such a movie? And uh, I actually brought it up to her because I'm, I'm learning. My dad was a pastor, and he always asked us before we, he used us as an illustration. So I'm trying to start something. Where I'm, so I asked her if I could share this story. And as she's retelling the story, her eyes are getting wild. Like she's re- reliving this. She's like, yeah, that dog was electrocuted. I'm like, what? What is wrong with these people who made this movie? Anyway, it was a Dove-approved movie. Anyway. I won't tell you the name of the movie. Uh, Anyway, but this is the narrative, right, in kids' movies. And the reason I bring it up is because this same narrative gets ingrained at an early age, not only in movies, but it kind of gets reinforced as we get older. Good conquers evil. Heroes prevail. Do the right thing, and good things will happen. In fact, as our kids get older, right, we, we teach them this general rule so that they follow our, our rules. Obey me and good things will happen. And this, this narrative gets carried over into adulthood. Some segments of the church, right, have really zeroed in on this narrative. It's, if you sin, you will be punished. If you do good, follow Jesus. Blessings will come. There's a segment, the prosperity gospel, that really zeroes in on financial blessing, right? And it's kind of this kind of form of Christian karma, or if we're, borrow, if we're using words from Scripture, if you, you reap what you sow, right? But here's the question. Is this really how the world works? Is this really how life works? Is this an accurate picture of reality? Do the right thing and good things will happen. Well, Scripture seems to suggest, not just here in Acts 6 and 7, but the whole testimony of Scripture suggests that it's not that simple. It's not that simple. Enter Stephen in Acts chapter 6 and 7. We begin by looking at Stephen and and his character. We're first introduced to Stephen in verse 5 when the church appoints the first deacons. And Stephen is one of those deacons, deacons who are entrusted with the care and the needs within the early church. And what we see, this picture of Stephen that's painted by Luke, is he is really, really impressive. Stephen is a man of incredible character. We're told that he is known to be full of the spirit and wisdom, as are all the deacons in verse 3. A man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, Luke points out in verse 5. He has a servant's heart. He's appointed and he's willing to care for the widows in the community. Additionally, we're told that this, he was a man full of God's grace and power, and he performed great wonders and signs among the people in verse 8. And not only that, but we're told that he is one who is a gifted teacher and preacher of the word, who's been going around to various synagogues outside Jerusalem teaching, and he's teaching with unmatched wisdom, verse 10. And to top it off, we're even told that he has the face of an angel. I say that a little tongue-in-cheek. It probably doesn't mean what we think it means, um, All that is to say is Stephen is impressive. 
Luke describes him really as a model disciple, one like Jesus. And that parallel we see toward the end of Stephen's life, right? As I was thinking about Stephen and how Luke describes Stephen, what immediately came to mind was how grandmothers describe their grandkids, right? Grandmothers love to brag about their grandkids because, let's face it, grandkids are amazing. Can I get an amen to that? Now, I don't know about you, but I'm just, I'm making some assumptions here, but I know that my grandma, when she got together with her friends, she would kind of exaggerate a little bit, right? And so I remember being a kid, and my grandmother told uh, her friends in Florida that I was 6'3". I wasn't, right? <laughs> she was exaggerating even about my height. Now, Thankfully, I hit a great a growth spurt, and I actually hit 6'3", so I made my grandmother someone who tells the truth. But, right, gra- gra- like, so I was just thinking about Luke, and, and he, is, he is describing Stephen in the ways grandmothers describe their grandkids. Stephen is the epitome of doing all the right things. Think of what we talked about. He's a deacon. He has a servant's heart. He performs signs and wonders. And not only that, but he's a gifted and passionate preacher. He does all the things, does them well. He's a hero in many ways, right? And what's the result? What's the result? Verse 9 says, opposition arose. Opposition comes. And notice how quickly the opposition escalates. It begins with simply a disagreement. Stephen is is teaching in the synagogues, these synagogues around Jerusalem, right? And it begins at his disagreement, but he's talking about Jesus and that he is the Messiah, that he is God's son, and and, and they don't agree. But they, they can't match. They can't match his wisdom. But instead of admitting that they're outmatched or admitting that maybe even they're wrong, And considering that what Stephen is saying is maybe true, what do they do? They find some men to make false accusations against Stephen of blasphemy. Serious charges. The most serious charges. And that doesn't seem to do much as far as in the community. And so what do they do? They take it to the next level. And they begin to stir up the people and the leaders. And then they have him arrested and taken to the temple courts for trial. And it's at trial that now they find people to be false witnesses in court to speak against Stephen. And what do they say? This fellow never stops speaking against this holy place, referring to the temple, and against the law, the Torah. These are two of the most serious charges you could bring against someone in the first century in Jerusalem. They go on, we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. These are false charges laid against Stephen based on some things that are true, but these are false charges. And not only are they false charges, but they are condemnable charges. And what this does is it shows a certain level of not just anger that these leaders have against Stephen, but contempt. Stephen is messing with their religious system. Stephen is messing with their way of life. And in their perspective, Stephen must be stopped at all costs by any means necessary. 
And we just need to pause here and, and step out of the story and step into our world today because we see this same mentality in our culture today. <clears throat> that person must be stopped at all costs by any means necessary. Sometimes we are on the receiving end, but sometimes if we're honest, we find ourselves aligning with that kind of philosophy by any means necessary. The problem is any means allows us to justify unethical means, as is the case here. And if we're finding ourselves getting to that point at all costs by any means necessary, it's a sure sign of idolatry. Because the means are important. The way we go about following Jesus is important. After all, Jesus calls himself the way, right? By any means necessary, at all costs, is a strategy of the world, not the strategy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Opposition comes. Let's step back into the book of Acts. Opposition comes Stephen's way. How does Stephen respond? How does Stephen respond? Stephen remains faithful. Stephen remains faithful. Again, we don't have time to carefully work through Stephen's speech. If you have time this afternoon, I encourage you to read. It is a brilliant speech given uh, to the Sanhedrin. But he seems to ignore the direct question and charge against him. They ask him a direct question. Are these charges true? What does Stephen not do? He does not immediately follow by saying, no, they are not true. Here's why I'm innocent. No, instead... Stephen gives this brilliant speech retelling the biblical story. Again, he's speaking to a Jewish audience. He's speaking to religious leaders who knew their Bible, knew the story of their people. He meets his audience, his accusers, right where they hold most dear, right? The thing they hold most dear, their scriptures, the account, their Jewish worldview and beliefs. Now, again, there's a lot to unpack in this speech. Stephen does address his accusations. If you look, he talks about Moses a lot. This is the accusation against the law. He then goes and talks about the tabernacle and the temple, right? He is addressing these two accusations, and he affirms. He's giving, affirming God's giving of the law and the Torah through Moses. He affirms these sacred spaces of tabernacle and temple, but he gives two brilliant twists in his speech. The first is this the gospel, right? Stephen lays this groundwork of the account of God's people from Abraham all the way through to the kings, right? And says that Jesus Christ is not some new movement that's opposed to the work of God throughout history, but saying that Jesus Christ and this movement of his followers, the church, is a fulfillment of scriptures, Jesus and Stephen, they're not speaking against Moses and the law in the temple, but rather testifying that this is the next move of God's grand narrative to bring salvation to the world. He's connecting what they hold dear to the gospel of Jesus Christ, pointing them to Jesus. And the second move that he makes is a bold call to repentance. And this is where he gets in trouble but what is he doing? He's saying he tells that these leaders are just like those who resisted Moses, 
Just like those who resisted the prophets who proclaimed of Jesus, the righteous one, and are the same that resisted and killed Jesus Christ. Like those who opposed Moses, you opposed and killed Jesus, Stephen says, and now you oppose the work of the Spirit today. And the implication is, open your eyes. Recognize that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of all that we have been hoping for as God's people. Repent and turn to Jesus. He remains faithful in declaring the gospel and calling for repentance. And he does so with little regard for his own well-being. Stephen had to know after he said these things where this could lead. And for us, as we step back, Stephen is a reminder and a challenge for us today. How do we remain devoted to what is most important, which is declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ? Can I get an amen to that? <laughs> right? How do we remain devoted to the, declaring the gospel good news of Jesus Christ even when it isn't to our benefit? When, when I read, and, and maybe when you read this account of Stephen, drawn immediately back to Jesus' words in Luke's earlier account, Luke chapter 12, verses 11 and 12, hear Jesus' words. He says, when you are brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, this is exactly what Stephen is facing right now, right? Jesus says, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. Stephen is a living example of Jesus' promise here in Luke 12. And evidence that what Jesus says is true. And it'll be true for us as we find ourselves in those same places where resistance is coming. The Spirit will give us words to speak. Stephen remains faithful, a reminder for us to remain faithful. And then what happens next to Stephen? Death. Death comes for Stephen. The Sanhedrin Jewish authorities heard these accusations and they are cut to the, they, they are, rather, they are not cut to the heart, right? They hear these accusations. They're not cut to the heart. They don't repent. They don't turn their lives in allegiance to Jesus Christ. No, they become infuriated. We're told they gnash their teeth. I don't even know what that exactly looks like, but they are fuming. And in a rage, after Stephen shares his vision of Jesus, they absolutely lose it. And they are overcome with rage and anger. They cover their ears. They yell at the top of their lungs, and they drag him away and murder him. They murder Stephen. Court system? Nah. Taken in our own hands drag him outside of the city. They're so overcome with rage and contempt for Stephen, they murder him. We're introduced to this man, Saul, which approves what's happening. We're going to talk about Saul, who would become Paul. 
But in chapter 8, we're told that persecution breaks out against the church in Jerusalem. And men and women alike are dragged from their houses and arrested and brought to Jerusalem where they'll face trial. The result of Stephen's faithfulness, this model disciple, disciple of all disciples, who remains faithfully, the result is he's brutally and unjustly murdered. And, we, and we, we stopped there. And if we're reading this for the first time, we must be thinking, what? How could this be? This doesn't fit the script, right? This isn't fair. Stephen shouldn't be murdered. He's our hero. He should be vindicated. He should be set free. He should escape somehow, right? This doesn't fit the narrative of the Disney movies I watched with my kids. It doesn't fit the narrative we want to believe about how life works. When we do the right thing, when we're faithful to Jesus Christ, shouldn't things go well for us? Right? Except for that it only takes a few years of living life here on earth, a broken world. And you quickly realize from our experience that life is not that simple. Doing the right thing is, is no guarantee to a good life. Remaining faithful to Jesus Christ is no guarantee to a good, comfortable life. It does not guarantee success in life. It does not guarantee the health and safety of yourselves or those that we love. We know that because we've experienced it. It doesn't guarantee that, that our children who we love with our whole being are going to grow up to become disciples and followers of Jesus. Now, yes, does following God's good order, God's law bring life? Yes, it does, absolutely. Following God's law brings life, but it does not guarantee specific outcomes here on earth. And the scriptures testify to this truth, not only with Stephen, but with countless others who are persecuted and dragged off and killed for claiming Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. It's also testified in the Old Testament, right? With the prophet Job, who does everything right, and yet everything is taken away from Job. Life in Christ does not follow a nice, clean, wonderful Disney storyline. There is no cosmic formula to solve as if we can correlate all of our suffering to some bad choice or mistake and all of the good things to some ways that we have somehow earned it by our faithfulness. That is not how the world works. And we know this because each and every one of us here, I guarantee it, have experienced disappointment, has experienced heartache and loss. And when we're in that moment, there is no way to make sense of it. Actually, if you read about Stephen, Stephen's life actually follows the life of Jesus Christ, remaining faithful to the very end, and that very end leads to the same place as our Lord Jesus Christ. For Jesus, it was a cross. For Stephen, it was stones, it was death. In fact, Stephen even utters the same words of forgiveness Jesus uttered on the cross. Jesus, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing, Jesus says. 
But even this, Jesus reminds us, Luke 9, verses 23 through 25, that the life of following Jesus is not about outcomes for ourselves. Jesus says this, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? The way of Jesus is not about self-preservation. It's about self-sacrifice. It's about not being so overcome with my own well-being, but be willing to lay down my own life for the glory and good of the gospel here on earth and for the good and well-being of those God has called me to love. And still, that's not where the story ends. Death comes for Stephen But what this story teaches us is that even in the worst of moments, God remains faithful. In this moment of Stephen's own stoning, his murder, the worst thing that the world can do to us, God remains faithful and meets him there. In an amazing account, Stephen is filled with the Holy Spirit. He directs his eyes toward heaven and sees the glory of God and Jesus Christ at his right hand. I cannot think of a more glorious gift in this moment to be reminded of God's faithfulness in this way. You see, friends, I cannot guarantee specific outcomes in this life. Even if, if you are like Stephen, the model disciple, even if, even if we are to be everything our grandmother wanted us to be, even if we remain faithful to Jesus Christ for our entire life, I cannot guarantee your health. I cannot guarantee your wealth and security, your comfort. In fact, none of us is even guaranteed tomorrow. But here's what I can guarantee with all confidence. I can guarantee that God will remain faithful to you through it all. I'm not sure how he will show up in those moments. It might not be in a vision like Stephen received. It it, it might actually be in something more simple, like the kindness of a friend. God might show up in Scripture, a verse that pops in your head or a song that comes into your heart. It might even be the glory of God's creation which becomes a reminder of his faithfulness or a word from the Holy Spirit. But God is faithful and he will show up in your life. We have to learn from Stephen to have our eyes focused on the right things. Our eyes and our hearts open to God's work in and around us and he will come to us in those moments. And then, the truest, best promise of all is on that day when our life on this earth is complete, when we breathe our last breath, I'll tell you, you will see the same thing that Stephen saw, but it won't be a vision. 
It won't be with one foot here on earth and one foot up in heaven. No, you will see the glory of God and our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ at his right hand as you enter glory, the glory of heaven, because eternity is what is promised to all of those who live and die in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the grace and the good news of the gospel. And it's our ultimate assurance that our God is faithful, even to the end. Will you join me in prayer? Father God, we thank you for your love and your faithfulness. We thank you for the good news of Jesus Christ. Lord, grace that reminds us that we are covered. We are forgiven. That we are your children. We thank you, Lord, that this is all grace. There's nothing we can do to earn it or deserve it. And Lord, you call us to follow you, Lord Jesus. And Lord, following you means denying ourselves, to having eyes that are fixed on our Lord Jesus in heaven, knowing that you have a plan, a plan that is good, a plan of redemption and salvation. And we thank you for the hope that we have in Christ, in Christ alone, that what awaits us in the life to come is the glory of heaven. We thank you for this good news. May we live into it more and more. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to stand as we sing a song of response in Christ alone.
Well, Celebration Community, I don't know what life experience you bring with you into this place. But what I do know is that, that imagery in that song that we just sang, that we rest firmly in the strong and mighty hands of our God is a powerful one and a good one. To know that God's hold and grip on our lives is infinitely more powerful and strong than our feeble attempts to hold on to him. That is good news, for our God is faithful in life and in death. As you go from here, receive God's benediction. May our Lord Jesus Christ and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Amen. Let's sing together.